Amen. Brethren, please be seated. As we approach the day of Pentecost, you have an appropriate sermon. It'll be delivered by our brother, Deacon Jan. It's entitled, Dealing with the Issue of Sin, Part 1. So this is a two-part message. We'll have part one today. Dealing with the Issue of Sin, Deacon Jan Kowalczyk. Thank you, brother, and good afternoon. Good afternoon, everyone. So, as you hear, dealing with the issue of sin, and this sermon is appropriate for the Day of Atonement. My brother mentioned the Day of Pentecost, but it's the Day of Atonement. <laughs> I'm just making sure that we on the right holiday today. So, dealing with the issue of sin, part one. Open up your Bible to Leviticus chapter 23. As we know. This is the only chapter in the whole Bible which deals with the all God's holidays. And let's start here just to remind ourselves, as we always do before each holiday. Let's begin at verse 1. And the Lord speak to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocation, These are my feasts. One more time, they don't belong to anybody else. They don't belong to Jews. They don't belong to the Russians or anybody else. They belong strictly to God, our creator. Now, skip down to verse 26. Now we're going to talk about the Day of Atonement. And the Lord spoke to Moses. Also, the tenth day of the seventh month shall be Day of Atonement, it shall be a holy convocation for you, and you shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And you shall do no work on that day, for it is the day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. Just a quick point, as we just, you know, just read all these three verses here, short version, uh, sh- short verses here. Just quick three, three points. Day of atonement. It's always on the tenth day of the seventh month. It's not on the eleventh day. It's not on the twelfth month. It's always the same on the tenth day on the seventh month on God's holy calendar. It is a day where we should be always assembled together. It's a holy convocation. It's not a day to stay at home because, you know, I'm hungry and I'm thirsty and I don't feel like travel on this day. It's a holy convocation where we should be assembled together. It is a day when we afflict our soul. What do we mean by that? We abstain from any form of food and water. We just don't eat and don't drink through the whole day on the 10th of the seventh month. And it's, it's a day when we don't do any work. That's also important. Don't eat and we don't do any work. We don't do our regular work. And here we write, there is an offering, man, Made by fire. And let's, and let's just read the reminder of the verses here about the Day of Atonement. And look at the hard consequences if we don't abide by God's words. 29, verse 29. For any person who is not afflicted in soul on the same day shall be cut up from his people. If you don't fast on this day because you don't feel like it, you'll be cut off from his people. Verse 31. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be established forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling. 
It shall be to be a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict your soul on the ninth day of the month at evening. From evening to evening, you should celebrate your Sabbath. So this year will be from Tuesday sunset to Wednesday sunset will be the day of atonement, where we don't work, where we don't drink, and we don't eat anything, and we assemble on this day. So that was just a quick quick reminder and quick just refreshments. And just through these verses, we can, we can just see it how many times just, the, the, just this word, atonement, one mentioned. Atonement, the day of atonement, with the atonement, with the atonement. This word, atonement, is all over the Bible, especially all over the sacrificial system. So now, what is atonement? What is atonement? Let's just find out the basic definition, what atonement means. What this word, atonement, means. It comes from the Hebrew word, kafar. You can find it in your own Bibles. If you have an electronic version, that's so easy to check, to verify. It's just basic. If you join a translated word for word, it would just mean to cover. That's it. Simple definition would be to cover. The more extended definition, as we're going to see it, as you're going to see it, as we're going to go through some of the biblical passages, the more extended definition of atonement is not just to cover, especially to cover the sin, but also means to get rid of sin, to cleanse, to get rid of. I'm going to show you a little bit later. The best way to understand atonement, in my opinion, I see the appointment, I see atonement as a, as a process. I see atonement as two phases, two phases of it. So the one is forgiveness for sin, two phases of atonement. Number one, forgiveness of sin, so we can say that atonement equals forgiveness. Let me give you a scriptures for this. Leviticus chapter 4. And I have to give you a little warning. We're going to spend a lot of time today in the book of Leviticus. And I know that for many of us, this is a very boring reading. So hopefully I will not put you to sleep through my sermon today. So try to stay awake. Try to stay active. And I think it will be very important just to listen to what I have to say because part two is based on part one. So Leviticus chapter 4, and look, look at verse 20. Leviticus chapter 4. And look at verse 20. It's just this particular verse out of context, but just to want to show you what I mean by that. So it says here, at the bottom of this verse, I'm not going to read the whole verse, but the bottom of, the, of this, at the bottom of this verse, it says, so the priest shall make atonement for them, and it shall be forgiven them. Can you see it? The bottom of the verse 20, the, the last, the end part of the verse 20, so the priest shall make atonement for them, and it shall be forgiven them. So this is the beginning of the process of atonement. It's forgiveness, the phase one. Now, I said the phase two is the cleansing of getting rid of the sin. So atonement also equal cleansing. So this is the second phase of atonement. It's cleansing. So hold your, hold your place in Leviticus chapter 4. You can put something there, some kind of a marker or whatever. Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16, and here in verse 30. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 30. For on that day, the priest shall make atonement for you. Oh, what do you mean? It's just the forgiveness. No, to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. 
So there's the other definition, the more extended definitions of atonement. It's not just about the forgiveness of sin, it's also about the cleansing part of the sin. So the atonement is not just the covering something, but also cleaning it, removing it. So this day, it's about the reconciliations with God. And I mentioned so many times, I don't know if you remember, I mentioned to you that salvation is a process. Salvation is not a one-time event. Salvation has a starting point. Salvation has got an ending point. And the issues, how God will deal with the sin, is also a process. It's as a starting day, and eventually we'll have an ending day. It doesn't happen just once, spontaneously. And I'll show you, I'll prove you, I'll prove it to you what I mean by that. Now, what I want to do today, through the part first, and also through the part second, so you know where I'm going, and you know you can, you can be uh, mentally, you can be with me, what I try to accomplish through my presentations here today. First thing, I'm not going to be speaking a lot about the sin, because we know what sin is. Any transgression against God's law is a sin. That's it, period. But what I want to do, I want to talk about the results of sin. The results of sin. When we sin, what are the results of it? So that's what I want to, I want to check this one first. Then I want to talk, what is the difference between the regular sin offering that we find in the book of Leviticus, and then what is the difference between the sin offering and the atonement offering? What's the difference? As we get this thing, as we park with this this thing, we'll move to the other ones, another issue that we're going to cover, did Christ, did Christ fulfill the atonement at the cross? Because many people think so. Did Christ fulfill the atonement when he was crucified? And eventually it would lead. So what's the difference between the Passover and the atonement? What's the difference? So let's look quickly here. The results of the sin. The way how God looked at it. So the results of the sin. I'm just going to throw at you a bunch of scriptures here, just a few scriptures here, not a bunch of them, just three, four. So just have a quick idea what I mean by that. Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah chapter 59. And if I go too fast, or you miss something, just raise your hand and say, slow down, slow down, Jen, here. I don't know what you're talking about, or you know you lost me here. So raise your hand, don't be afraid. If you still have some questions, write it down. If you're making notes, so during the sermon discussion, you know, you can ask the correct questions. What is the result of sin? Isaiah chapter 59. We all know what it was the results, right? But let's read it in the eyes through Isaiah as he's writing to his people. Behold, the Lord's hands, first one, is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But... But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. Your hands are defiled. And if you're making notes, I would like you to write this word down, defile, because, you know, this word defile is very popular in the Old Testament. Or, you know, highlight this word in your Bible, defile, because that's the result of sin, the sin, what is sin doing in our life? The sin defile us. So, 
For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongues have murdered perversity. No one calls for justice and nor does any plead for truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. And we can go on through all the Bibles, but I have to give you some examples. Now, the direct results of sin is your defilement. You will become defiled. It's not just you. Not just you, because you sin. Because we live in North America and we believe such a thing as democracy, so we try to personalize everything that we believe. Even scripture, we say, oh, this sin is just against me and against God and nothing else. It's just my personal sin affect me, and I'm just sinning against God. There's way more than that. When you sin, you affect your wife, you affect your family, you affect your neighborhood, you affect everything around it. And I'm going to show you through the scripture what, is this, what this thing means. Leviticus chapter 18. Go back, Leviticus chapter 18. Leviticus chapter 18. Look at verses 24 to verse 30. 18 to verse 24. This is God's commandments to his people. Do not defile yourself with any of these things. For by all this, by all this the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. Verse 25. For the land is defiled. Wait a minute. I thought that sin is very personal. It's just against me and my God. How can be land defiled? That's what God says. For the land is defiled, therefore I would visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomit out its inhabitants. And you shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, either any of your own nation, or any stranger who dwells among you. No exception. There is the same law for God's people, the same law for any nation, the same people for Gentiles. There are no exceptions. There are no Two sets of law for a different group of people. God's law is God's law. God's law is holy, just like his character is holy. Verse 27. For all these abominations the men of the land have done who are before you, and thus the land is defiled. Lest the land vomit you out also when you defile it, as it is vomited out the nations that were before you. For whoever commits any of these abominations, the persons who commit it, them shall be cut off from among their people. Therefore, you shall keep my ordinance, so that so that you do not, so that you do not commit any of these abominations, custom which are committed before you, and that you do not defile yourself by them. I am the Lord, your God. How many times we read this word defile, 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 defile? We don't use this word as much today in our language, day-to-day language. We use the word sin or mistake. You just don't use defile. Now, another scripture I want to I I punch you here. So that was right away when they were just cruising in the promised land, after the Passover, not long after the Passover. So now, just quickly jump in time to Jeremiah, and let's see how well they did what God commanded them. Jeremiah, chapter 2, just one verse from there. Jeremiah, chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 7 to 9. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 7. I brought you into a bountiful country to eat its fruit and its goodness. 
But when you entered, you defiled my land and my, my heritage and abomination. You guys, you were supposed to know. You were supposed to live by my commandments and you defiled it. My inheritance. The priest, verse 8, did not say, where is the Lord? And those who handled the law did not know me. The rulers also transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and walk after, after things that do not profit. Every single one is guilty. From the priesthoods, the one who's supposed to lead the nations, to common people, to the prophets, everybody is sinful, defiled the land. Now, go back now to Second Chronicles chapter 36. Second, Second Chronicles chapter 36, the last chapter of this book. Just one verse from there. Verse 14. Second Chronicles chapter 36, verse 14. Moreover, all the leaders of the priests and the people transgress more and more according to all the abominations of the nations. And they not just defile themselves and the land. Look what happened. And all these nations defiled the house of the Lord, which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. Think about the consequences of the scriptures that, we read, that we're reading. If you are a sinful, if you commit a sin, when you are defiled, when you come into the sanctuary, you're bringing, you're bringing this thing with you into Defilement is a serious issue. Let me give you just one more. Ezekiel it will summarize everything what he did. Ezekiel chapter 23. Ezekiel chapter 23. Ezekiel chapter 23. And we'll read verses 37 through 39. For they have committed adultery, and blood is on their hands. They have committed adultery with their idols, and even sacrificed their sons, whom they bore to me, passing them through the fire to devour them. Moreover, they have done this to me. They have defiled my sanctuary on the same day and profaned my Sabbaths. For after they had slain their children for their idols, on the same day, they came into my sanctuary to profane it, and indeed, thus they have done in the midst of my house. Can you picture this thing? Just before I come to church, I'll go somewhere else to worship God just in case, you know, if I miss something. If I'm not right, I'll go maybe to here, worship some other God, but then I'll come here just in case, just to be secure. I'll, I'll hear and, and come and, you know, worship another God. This is insane. This is unbelievable. That's how, the, that's how these people end up doing. And they defile everything from themselves, through their land, through their homes, through, through the sanctuary that was among them, that was supposed to be the holy of the holiest things. They defile everything. How the sin is affecting us. This is how is sin affecting us. Sin is separating us from God. Our defilement is separating us from God. Now, 
Let's look at the sin offering. Let's go back to Leviticus chapter 4. We're going to look at the process. How to go with the issue of sin. And as we're going to look at the scriptures, we're going to come across this word, atonement, 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 atonement. It's the same word, Hebrew word. So just keep in mind, atonement is a process. We receive forgiveness, and then we see we receive reconciliation, all the cleansing part. Step, keep, try to still keep in your mind this process, not just the one thing, one event, as a process. So as we, as we study this chapter, as we go through details, we're not going to do this here today. You can do it when you get home tonight. Or you can do it before the Feast of Atonement. When you don't need to cook, you don't need to clean, you don't need to work, you have a lot of time on your hands, then you can go through a lot of the scriptures like that. You can't say that the busyness of life is taking you away from it. But I'll give you some highlights. I'll give you some takeaways take if you study this chapter. I know it might be boring to some of you, but we need, if you don't understand the regular sin offering with the Bible will never, ever understand the atonement offering. So as you read, as you started this chapter 4, 5, and 6, especially about the sin offering, trespass offering, some things I just want you to keep in mind. If you make notes, let me give you a first point about when you started. And you can review it when you get home, right? You can re- re- review it on your own time. The sin offering was a sacrifice for those sins which were unintentional. These sins that we read here in Leviticus chapter 4, these offerings were for sins unintentional. And write this word and highlight it. Unintentional. What do you mean, Jan? Let me show you. Leviticus chapter 4. Verse 2, Leviticus chapter 4, verse 2. Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a person sin unintentionally, if a person sin unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done, and does any of them, and then it goes what this person should offer. So we have different classes here where we started this chapter. We come to the priests, we come to the congregations, we come to the leaders, and we go to the common people. We'll come, we'll get to this a little bit later. Look at verse 13. The same chapter, verse 13. Now we're talking about the whole congregation. Verse 13, did the whole congregation of Israel sins, and what's the word here? Intentionally? No. If the whole congregation of Israel sin unintentionally. Again, the same word. Unintentionally. Look at verse 22. We come to the leaders, to the rulers. Verse 22, when a ruler has sinned and done something unintentionally. Keep this thing in mind. This is offering for sin done unintentionally. Verse 27, for the common people. If any of the common people sin unintentionally. So the question comes to mind right away as you started this thing. The question is, what happened to you if you sin intentionally, right? 
Wouldn't you have this question? What happened to you if you sin intentionally? And, and you know, God's word's got the answer for it. Hold your place here. I, I told you, mark your, mark your place here in Leviticus chapter 4. But we'll go to Numbers chapter 15 to answer that. What happened if you sin intentionally? Numbers chapter 15. Numbers chapter 15, and you look at verses 27 to 31. Verse 27, Numbers 15. And if a person sin unintentionally, that's what we've been covering, Leviticus chapter 4, unintentionally, then he shall bring a female goat in its first year as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for the person who sins unintentionally. When he sins unintentionally before the Lord to make atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. And again, verse 21. Read it carefully. You shall have one law for him who sins unintentionally, for him who is a native born among the children of Israel, and for the stranger who dwells among them. It's not like, oh, these guys can break this law and it's okay, but I'm a child of God, so I, you know, I can do something, you know, I can do what, whatever they can do. Or the Gentile can do, break God's law, but I'm an Israelite, so I have different law for myself. It doesn't say, it doesn't say in the Torah at all. Keep reading. Verse 30. But, the person who does anything presumptuously, there we go, any person who does anything presumptuously, whether he's, whether he's a native born, or a stranger, it doesn't matter, that one, that one brings reproach on the Lord, and he shall be cut off from among his people. Why? Verse 31 gives you all the answers. You don't have to figure it out by your own. Because he has despised the word of the Lord, and has broken his commandment, that person shall be completely cut off, his guilt, his penalty, shall be upon him. What happened if you sin intentionally? What you can offer to God and go and ask for forgiveness? What can you offer? Nothing. You do. There's no animal. There's no money that you can bring to the temple and ask God for forgiveness. Not according to the Levitical priesthood. Do we get this? Because sometimes we look at Christ like he's our second chance. Oh, you know, well, he loves everybody. I did this, I did this. Oh, he will forgive me. He loves me. We just don't look the way how sin is affecting us. And how sin separates us from God. We don't have this mentality because we don't read the Old Testament. Because Christ, he has done everything for us. He fulfilled everything. So we don't have to do it. That's how people come up most of the time with this thing. All right, let's go to Leviticus chapter 4. So my first point was sin. You can only offer offering for the sin that you committed unintentionally. That was my first point. My second point. The sin offering was always an offering for a known sin. 
known sin, specific sin. Leviticus chapter 4, look at verse 14. So unintentional, but it's specific, it's a known sin. Verse 14. When the sin which they have committed become known, you didn't know, but now you know, then you know, you are, you are aware that you committed a sin, then what happened? Then the assembly shall offer, what is the, where you go and ask for forgiveness? Right away, when you find out that you have committed a sin. You don't just say, I'm gonna wait till next year. It's not on my way. No, you do it right away. You ask God for forgiveness. As soon as you find out that you committed a sin. The next point. As you study this book, and especially Leviticus chapter 4, you will notice the sin is exceedingly costly. You know, in this case, different animals were used for different classes of people. When you study these chapters into detail, we'll notice it right away. So let's, let me give you an example here. Let's take the priests who are at the top of the chain. And then we're going to look at the common people. So look at the priest first. Look at verse 4. Leviticus chapter 4. Look at verse 4. What happened if they sin? So it says here, he shall bring, verse 4, the ball to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. That was very expensive animal. Very expensive animal for anybody to sacrifice. Very costly for the priest to sin. If you sin unintentionally, imagine twice a week. Think of that. If you sin ten times a month, you'll get bankrupt. Physically speaking. You will have concept in your head what it's supposed to mean to be sinful. Today it's, oh well, Christ died for me. We don't look at the sin as a cost. Ah, he died for me. It's okay. You know, a bunch of other people are doing the same thing. You know, I may as well just do it. He will forgive me. You know, God is love. Let's move on to the next. No, let me show you. So it's a ball, right? Here. Let's look at the common people. Look at that verse 28. For if his sin which he has committed comes to his knowledge, that he shall bring as his offering a kid of the, a kid of the goat, a female, without a blemish. So a female goat, which was one of the less costly animals, it was a female for a common people. It's still very expensive. You have to sacrifice one of your animals. The best one. Not just the one that you pick and choose. The weakest one. No, the best one. So the sin was exceedingly costly. And the sin, we should look at sin also as exceedingly costly for us. I know we don't have this mentality, but we should. How much would cost you to maintain the right relationship with God? Think about it. Every time you sin and you need to offer, or let's say, just look at the conversion for whatever the price of a bull is today, or a female gold is, let's convert it into the dollars, and let's say it's about, let's just, I'm just estimating, I have no idea, so I'm just shooting the numbers. Let's say the price of a ball, let's say it's 
or our gold, let's say it's a 500 bucks. Each time you sin, which you have to took your wallet and pay for it, that would be very costly, right? But we come together for a God's, and you know, if we come together for a holiday, and we comes to the offer something to God, what do we usually give? The leftovers. Because we don't appreciate the grace that we receive for our sins. I'm just showing you things in perspective through the Old Testament mentality, how God looks at sin. Now let me go to another point. The sin offering made a different applications of the blood. Did you notice it? If anybody studied the Leviticus thing? What do I mean by that? The sin offering made a different application of the blood. What do you mean by that? Let's read it. Let's take an example. For example, priests and a common people again. Verse verse 5. So when the bull was killed for the sin of the priest, then the anointed priest, just read carefully, what's going to happen with the blood of the animal? Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and bring it into the tabernacle of meeting. Where is he going with the blood? Straight to the tabernacle. How far? The priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. Just right before the Holy of Holiness, that's when the priest was sprinkling the blood of the animal that died for his sin. Front of God. He's not going inside there yet. He's just sprinkling the blood in front of the veil before before the Holy of Holiness. And verse 7. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of sweet incense, which right before the veil there. Only priest has access to this part. Not anybody can go there. Only he can go there. So he's anointing the horns of the altar, and then, which is in the tabernacle of meeting, and he shall pour the remaining blood of the bull at the base of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. The rest of the blood... He just only put something on the finger, sprinkle something that said, the rest of the blood. If you sacrifice a bull, you're probably going to get at least few buckets of blood. At least few big buckets of blood. What do you do with this blood? You discard it at the foot of the altar. Put it on the ground. The blood was spilled for you. And a lot of it. We don't have these pictures in our minds anymore. Today it will be R-rated. We can see it. Our children cannot see it. They can see all the sexual perversion, but this thing will be forbidden to see. So let's look now at the common people. Look at verse 30. I just want you to see the difference now. What happened with this animal that was sacrificed? What happened with its blood? Then the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger and put on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering. That's way before the tabernacle of meeting. It's outside. He doesn't go with this blood inside. Everything happening outside of the altar of the burnt offering and pour all the remaining blood at the base of the altar. You see the difference? The difference what happened when the priest sinned and what happened when the common person sinned. 
the difference of the blood application. It's right there. So, if you want to be a leader of a church, think in these terms. The responsibility is on your head, and the responsibility is on you as a common person. Take this thing into account. If you really want to lead, 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 think about this thing. The seriousness of it. The other point. So I hope this thing is not boring. How am I doing so far? Is it okay? Because it's very, go- very difficult for many people to go through this teaching because we, most of the time, have no idea. If we have no idea, then we just read it and we don't pay attention to what's happening, right? But we can't understand atonement if we don't understand the regular sin offering, what was happening there. We can't understand. We have our own speculations, our own ideas, not related in the Torah. All right. Another point. As there was a different applications for the blood, there is also a different application, different disposition of the body of the sacrifice animals. You notice it? Whoever studied and read it, you'll notice it. There's a different prescriptions for the sacrifice animals, what we do. Let me give you another, the same example with the priests. Look at verse 8. So when priests sin, you know what happened with the blood. Now we're going to, exactly, we're not going to know what's going to happen with all the dead animal to all its body. So he shall take from it all the fat of the bull as the sin offering, verse 8, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat which is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is, that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys he shall remove as it was taken from the bull of the sacrifice of the peace offering and the priest shall burn them on the altar of the burnt offering. All the fatty stuff gets burned on the altar. What happened to the rest of the animals? And this is very important. Very important. What happened to the rest of the animals? And verse 11. But the, but the bull's hide and all its flesh with its head and legs, its entrails, awful, everything, the whole bull shall be carried outside the camp to a clean place where the ashes are poured out and, and burn it on the wood with fire, where the ashes are poured out, it shall be burned. So there was a place to deal with this thing, and it should be taken outside, and the entire body of the animal was burned. Entire body. They used the blood, all the fat was burned on the, on the altar, and the rest of the bull's body was just burned. And so its legs, its head, everything was burned to the ashes. You see it? Can we see it? We got it? Because this is important. Now let's look at the other example of the common people, of the common person. Verse 31. He shall remove all its fat as fat is removed from the sacrifice of the peace offering and the priest shall burn it on the altar for a sweet aroma to the Lord. So the priest shall make atonement for him and it shall be forgiven him. The fat again, the fat go on the altar, and it's burned. The question is, what happened to the rest of the animal? It's not specified here. It doesn't say here in Leviticus chapter 4, but a few chapters over, we'll find out. Leviticus chapter 6. What happened to the rest of the animals that the common people sacrificed for a sin offering? 
Leviticus chapter 26. And look at verse 25. Speak to, speak to Aaron and to his son saying, this is the law of the sin offering. This is the law of the sin offering. In the place where the burnt offering is killed, the sin offering shall be killed before the Lord. It is most holy. You can highlight this thing because we're not come, we're gonna come back to this a little bit later. It is most holy. Six, Leviticus chapter six. Okay, the verse 26 though. I'm sorry, Leviticus six, verse 26. Thank you, Brother Murray. And verse 26. So I just read verse 25, verse 26. The priest who offers it, the priest who offers it for sin shall eat it. When the priest sacrificed, the whole animal is burned up. Nothing left of it, just the ashes. When the people come to the priest with their sin offering, this priest needs to eat its flesh. This is important. I want you to remember that. In a holy place, it shall be eaten. In the court of the tabernacle of meeting. He just can't just pack it up, take it to his cooler, and take it home. Not with this one. With other sacrifices, yes. But not with this one. We'll come back to this. So what happened with the rest of the animal? It was eaten by the priest. We'll come back to this a little bit later. Now, another point. As you study these chapters, very important chapters. The only solution to bear the guilt, to pay the penalty for sin, is blood atonement. Nothing else, blood atonement. Hold your place here again, Leviticus chapter 17. Leviticus chapter 17. It's blood atonement. Leviticus chapter 17. And let's spend a little bit of time here. Verse 2 to 4 first. Speak to Aaron and to his sons and to all the children of Israel and say to them, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, Whatever man of the house of Israel who kills an ox or lamb or goat in the camp, or who kills it outside the camp, verse 4, and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, the guilt, the penalty of bloodshed shall be imputed on that person or that man, and he has shed blood, and that man shall be cut off from among his people. So basically, in a simpler words, you can't take animal, shed in blood, and go whatever you want to, and say, this is just for my forgiveness. This is my offering to whatever. You need to bring it to the priesthood, official priesthood who was ordained by God. You just go and go anywhere as well you want, when you desire, and say, oh, God, this is just the offering I'm making for you. No, you'll be held guilty if you don't do this thing. Now, verse 11. Actually, just hold on. Verse 6, 6 and 7. And the priest shall sprinkle the blood on the altar of the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and burn the fat for a sweet aroma to the Lord. We just read it. Nothing new. 
And verse 7, they shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons. And you can do on your own study. You can go to electronic stuff and see the definition of this word demons. You can look at this. Okay? When you get home. They shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons after whom they have played the harlot. This shall be a statue forever for them throughout their generations. But the whole point about the blood atonement is right here in verse 11. Verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. It is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Keep this in your head. There is nothing else. It's only the blood that can atone you for your sins. Okay? It is sin that defiles us. Is this the blood from the sacrificial animal? Let me use the other term. For the innocent victim that can atone for our sins. Go back to Leviticus chapter 4. Another point. I have a lot of points about this chapter, brethren. Another point about this whole sacrificial system. As we read it, we need to pay attention. We should look out for things like that. The holiness of the sin offering. The holiness of the sin offering. Let me repeat again. The holiness. The holiness of the sin offering. Do you get it? The holiness. The holiness of the sin offering. And chapter 6, Leviticus chapter 6. And read some of these verses that we just read it, but let's read them again. Leviticus chapter 6 and verse 24. Also the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, This is the law of the sin offering. In the place where the burnt offering is killed, the sin offering shall be killed before the Lord. It is most holy. Verse 26. The priest who offers it for sin shall eat it. Shall eat it. In a holy place it shall be eaten. In the court of the tabernacle of Mini. In what state the priest is allowed to eat this sin offering. This is important. The next verse just explains. In what state he needs to be. Verse 27. Everyone who touches its flesh. Must be holy. So wait a minute. If the priest. Is not holy. Then. I don't receive my forgiveness. For my sin. Wow. Everyone who touches its flesh. Must be holy. Look at this. There are just the details that some people say. They are not important. But just keep reading. And when it's blood. It's sprinkled on any garment. Because this offering is so holy. That it's sprinkled anywhere. anywhere. You shall wash it. Then on which it was sprinkled. In a holy place. You can't just take it home and say. You know what? It's okay. I'll take it home. It'll be more convenient. 
I'll try it in my washer. You can't take it home. It's so holy, you can't take it because everything is defiled around you. You need to do it in a holy place. Keep reading. Verse 28. But the earthen vessel, or basically we use the clay, okay? The clay might have cracks inside it. When you boil it, when you make it a soup from this meat, but the earthen vessel in which it is boiled shall be broken because you can't wash it. If it's got little cracks and this thing goes inside, it's impossible to wash it. God says, you can't reuse it anymore. Break it. But if it's boiled in a bronze pot, if it's a metal, then it's okay. It shall be both skirt and rinsed with water. All the males among the priests may eat it. And again, if you missed it, it is most holy. This sacrifice that you receive from all the sinners, it is the most holy thing. We got it? I think we got it, right? So does the book of Leviticus now try to make a little bit more sense to us as we read this thing? How important it is? It's not just the casual Reading as we're drinking our tea and coffee and just go through all this thing like, oh, well, it's a good reading, but it doesn't apply to me much. Really? Really? All right. As we, or I think it's supposed to be, because I've been in a church for, for a long time, and I miss things, miss these things. It just this year I was just reading just some few verses and just, jump into my head. My head starts to spin. I couldn't make sense of what's going on here. So, you know, how can you understand of atonement if you don't understand the sin offering? How can you understand this? We can, we can use the human, you know, human reasoning, our logic, and try to speculate what's about the atonement. But if you don't understand the sin, the issues of sin, the dealing of sin, the asking for forgiveness, we can't understand it. So, Two most important things that happened through this study. Two very critical points. You can write them, you can highlight them with the red things. Number one, the holiness of the victim, the holiness of the sacrificial animals. Did you get this? Did you see it through? Let, let me go again through the book of Leviticus one more time. The holiness of the victim, the holiness of the sacrificial animals. Chapter 4, look at, look at verse 3. At the end of this verse, this bull, young bull, without blemish as a sin offering, without any blemish, perfect, the best, perfect. Verse 3, skip, skip down to verse 23 again. When the ruler sinned, and verse 23, at the end of this verse, a kid of the goats, a male, without blemish, again, without blemish. Verse 28, when the common people sinned, at the end of it, a cat of the goats, at the end of the verse, a female without blemish. Verse 32, if he brings a lamb, a sin, a sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish. And that's the thing, without blemish, without blemish. The perfect, this offering is holy to God. This offering is the most holy to God of all the offerings. This one, the sin offering. Think about it. Now, other point that jumps out of this thing when you read it. The holiness of the priesthood. The holiness of the priesthood. 
you can receive forgiveness without sinless priest. Can't. It's impossible. So, are we doing okay so far? Need a little break? Need to stand up, get the blood going? You're not falling asleep on me here? I'm not losing you? No? Okay. Leviticus chapter 10. Told you, we're going to spend a lot of time in Leviticus today. Leviticus chapter 10. The holiness of the priesthood. I want to spend a little bit of time on this topic, okay? The holiness of the priesthood. Here in this chapter 10, just a little quick background. You know what happened? Two sons of Aaron were trying to minister in the tabernacle. God came from heaven and killed them right on the spot because they did not obey the rules of God. God struck them on the spot right away. Okay? So you know the context. So another sons of Aaron come to minister in the tabernacle. So now here in verse 8. Then the Lord spoke to Aaron saying, Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink you nor your sons with you when you go into the tabernacle of meeting lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. And it's interesting because I had a discussion with lady and a man about this verse that they told me that, you know, we as a Christians, we are not supposed to drink alcohol. And this is the explanation for it, which is a total nonsense, right? Because God is saying here, when you directly minister to me, I don't want you ever, your head to be clouded with alcohol or anything else that you cannot make a clear judgment when it comes to my commandments. That's what he's saying. And I don't know, I don't know if his other two sons were drunk. The Bible doesn't say it, so I cannot make this accusation. But God is saying warning for the future generations. When you come, you must be pure, you must be clean, you must be concentrate, your mind must be on it. Follow my instructions to the T. Don't go to the left, don't go to the right. And then he says, throughout the generations in verse 10, again, the holiness of the priesthood, that you might distinguish between holy and unholy, and between unclean and clean. Are we Christians today, right? We don't need to worry about what's clean, what is unclean. It just doesn't matter. No, it does. It still does. And who is responsible to teaching all of us? Teaching us this thing. The priesthood. The holiness of the priesthood. Now, here we cover 18, verse 11. So here, the important thing was, it was the responsibility of the priesthood to teach everybody in the congregation how to behave, what to do, how to distinguish what is holy and what is not holy. It was their job. As the priesthood was going the same the congregation was going. If the priest could become corrupt, the whole congregation become corrupt. This is basically the story of the Old Testament. Now, hold your place here in Leviticus chapter 11 and just go quickly to the 
end of so-called Old Testament, and they like to divide the Bible into Old and New Testament, but, you know, most people, that's how they understand. So let's go to Malachi. Speaking of the priesthood, you know where I'm going, but just to refresh our memories here, Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2, which is, we're going to read verse 7 and 9. Malachi chapter 2, and verse 7 to 9. Verse 7, Malachi chapter 9. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge. And people should seek the law from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you, you priesthood, you people who are put in a spot to do this thing. But you have departed from the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, I also have made you contemptible and based before all the people, because you have not kept my ways, but you have shown partiality in the law. What do we mean partiality in the law? Oh, well, the law says this and this and this, but you know what? I can't really keep it so late. Maybe I can use a little bit here, you know, justification just to go a little bit to the left or a little bit a little to the right, so we're all okay here, right? That's the partiality. If you apply the law, it should, law is supposed to be equal to all the people. No matter who you are, no matter what you're doing, should apply to everybody. Go back to Leviticus chapter 10 here. The holiness of the priesthood, right? Teaching the people that was their responsibility on their neck, on their head, and they fell over and over and over again. Now, there is another important aspect. Let's read, let's read Leviticus chapter 10 now and verse 16 and 18. And pay real attention here, okay? <clears throat> then Moses made careful inquiry about the goat of the sin offering. Well, when people offering the goat, common people offering the goat for sin offering, what the priests were supposed to do with the rest of the body of the animals? What they were supposed to do? They were supposed to eat it. Right? We just read it. They were supposed to eat it. Then Moses made careful inquiry about the goat of the sin offering, and he says like, oh, there it was. Or not. Really? Did God just kill two of your sons? They offer profane fire. And now you're supposed to eat the sin offering that people offer to you. And you just burn it up. Which is unlawful. Why? Why is unlawful? And he was angry with Eleazar and Itamar, the sons of Aaron, who were left saying. And verse 17. Moses says, why? Why have you not eaten the sin offering in a holy place? Why? And there is the answer. Since it is most holy and God has given it to you to do what? To bear the in the guilt or to bear the, to bear the penalty of the congregation to make a port atonement for them before the Lord. You see it? How do regular guys gonna get 
atonement for his sin, how he's going to get it, where his penalty is going to go, on who? These people burn it up. You see it? Who takes the responsibility for the sin of the congregation? The priest. How? You are supposed to eat the sacrificial animal. We're going to come to this a little bit later. This is just the introduction. Okay? You see it? You want me to read it again? You want to have a little bit more homework when you actually get home. So, in order for the priest to bear the guilt of the people, they had to be holy all the time and do exactly according to the God commandments. Otherwise, it's just a vicious cycle. The vicious cycle that had to repeat year after year after year. It just couldn't connect what was going on. Now, what if the priests become sinful? What if the priest become sinful? What's going to happen? Go back to Leviticus chapter 4. We have the answers there. And because we read it so far, so fast, we don't stop and meditate what we read, and many times just, just skips our mind. Leviticus chapter 4. Look at verse 3. If the anointed priest sins, what's happening there? If the anointing priest sins, what's the next line? It's right there. You don't need to speculate. If the priesthood is sinful, who bears the guilt? The people. Did you get that when you were reading the book of Leviticus? I know it's just the boring stuff, right? If the anointing priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, then let them offer to the Lord. See, if they offer an offering... They could not partake of the holiness of the sin offering. It had to be burned up. That's why with blood they had to go straight to the Father before the veil to receive atonement for it. If the priesthood is guilty, the entire congregation is guilty. Oh, I just thought that, you know, that it's just between me and God. If I sin, just my sin just affects my God and nobody else. Make a note. You can have a discussion. Maybe I'm wrong. 
all the time as you study the book of Leviticus, it's about the holy conduct. Holy conduct, the clean and unclean. And what's common is what's common, what's sinful and what's not sinful. This is the requirement of the priesthood. If you don't have a priesthood, holy priesthood in this place, forgiveness and atonement for sin is impossible. It's impossible. It can happen. It can happen. Now, Leviticus chapter 21. I'm just going to show you, you know, some peaks here. You know, from now on, we might like this book. might change your mind about the book of Leviticus as you, you know, if you want to study it into a little bit further. Leviticus chapter 21. It's about the holiness, regulations of conduct of the priests here. Look at verse 6 about priesthood. Leviticus chapter 21, verse 6. They shall be holy to their God and not profane the name of their God. For they offer the offerings of the Lord made by fire and the bread of their God. Therefore, they shall be holy. Skip down to verse 8. Therefore, you shall consecrate him. For he offers the bread of your God. He shall be holy to you. For I, the Lord, who sanctify you, am holy. I'm holy God because I'm holy. You come in front of me. You need to be holy all the time. No exceptions. Verse 12. I'm just keeping here some verses. Just to give you some main points. Verse 12. Nor, ha- nor shall he go out of the sanctuary. Nor profane the sanctuary of his God. For the consecration of the anointing oil of his God is upon him. I am the Lord. And you can read it. And read it all the time throughout the book of Leviticus. So again, how does priest obtain forgiveness? The priest should not have go and ask God for forgiveness. He's supposed to be a mediator between God and his people. He is supposed to be holy. And as we read it, he gets his forgiveness from God himself. So now, the only thing that he could go for his sins, as far as he could go into the tabernacle of meeting, it was only to the veil before the Holy of Holiness. God gave them access, not all the time, but God gave them access to go into the Holy of Holiness on the Day of Atonement. To sacrifice for their sins and for the sins of the people. Now, this access, it's called Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, which they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And he said in verse 2, And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. If you're not holy, don't appear before me because I'll kill you. You can't stand in front of me if you're not holy. So, but I will give you exceptions. You can come in front of me, but only once a year. And there is a lot of conditions how you can appear before me. A lot of a specific condition. If you don't follow all the specific conditions, even then you don't have access to me. Because I'll kill you. So let's see. 
Look at verse 3. It won't condition. So verse 3. Aaron, verse 3. Shall come into the holy place, first thing, with the blood of the young bull as a sin offering. We just read it. Right there, Leviticus chapter 4. Young bull as a sin offering, and of a ram as a burn, as a burn offering. Skip down to verse 5. And he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of goats as a sin offering, and one ram as a burn offering. He's going to offer for himself, and he's going to offer for the people. And, and verse 6, And Aaron shall offer the bull, the, the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and men ato- atonement for himself and for his house. And skip down to verse 9. And verse 9, And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering, which, were, which was for the people. And on top of that, there is also the way in verse 4, you don't just come, you know, dressed any way you want to. There is a specific dressed goat. Verse 4, he said, You should put the holy linen tuning and the linen treasure on his body. And he should, and he was about to wash his body and all these other things. So, you know, just go on specific, specific, specific. How can he go in front of God only one day a year? Okay, just the one day of the year. So, Read verse 10 now. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and to let it go as the scapegoat into the wilderness. Verse 16. So he shall make atonement when all this thing was done, when the scapegoat was gone. Verse 16. So he shall make atonement. Okay? So he shall make atonement for the holy place, it was polluted. Holy place, because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel, and because of the transgressions for all their sins, and so he shall do for the tabernacle of meetings, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. And skip down to verse 18. And she shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horn of the altar all around it. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it, which is with his finger seven times, cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. Everything was defiled. The holy temple, everything was defiled because of the people, the sinfulness, and the priests. Keep down to verse 30. What exactly happened on the day? That's what exactly happened on the day of atonement. Verse 30. For on that day, the priest shall make atonement for you. To cleanse you. It's not just about forgiving you for sin. But also I want to cleanse you. I want you to be clean. But also clean you. That you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. Again, through the regular sin offering, people receive forgiveness for their sins. But on the day of atonement, their sins were purged and cleansed. Everything, not just their sins, 
but the whole sanctuary was cleansed. So let's summarize it here, brethren. Most of it will come in part two. But let's just quick summary here. So through the regular sin offering, once they find out when they sin, they had to offer it to God. So that's the trip to the temple and coming back, which costs money, offer an animal, which they had to do it if they wanted to receive forgiveness for the sins. So the regular sin offering, people receive forgiveness for the sins so that their relationship with God could be still open. Right? On the atonement day, they receive reconciliations when all the sins were moving up and cleansed. The entire place, people, the nation, the land, everything. And to accomplish these two things, to receive forgiveness and to receive cleansing, there are two very important things that without it, you cannot do it. What's that? Perfect, unblemished sacrifice. Right? Perfect, unblemished sacrifice. And point number two. Perfect, sinless high priest or priesthood. If this, you don't have these two things, you can receive cleansing from your sins. You can receive forgiveness for your sins. So let's conclude here this part one message. Let's go to Hebrew chapter 9. If you don't fully understand what we just covered here today, you cannot understand the book of Hebrews. No way. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrew chapter 9. I'll be talking way more about the Hebrew in part 2. It's going to come on the Day of Atonement this coming Wednesday. Hebrew chapter 9, verse 11 through 15. But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, nor, not with the blood of goats or calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained redemption, eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse you conscious from that works to serve the living God. And verse 15, and for this reason, he's a mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemptions of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. We'll come back to the scriptures next week. But brethren, what I want to tell you here at the end, that Levitical system was not designed to fully 
deal with the issue of sin. And that's very clear here when we study the, the, the letter to the Hebrews. The Levitical system was not designed to fully deal with the issue of sin. It had to be repeated year after year after year. Now, next week we're going to answer more questions. Did Christ fulfill the Day of Atonement when he died on the cross? Many Christian words, that's what they think, that everything was fulfilled, including the Day of Atonement. But if that's the case, how come we still sin? How come the sin is all over the place? If that was fulfilled on the cross when he died. So we'll cover this next week. What's the difference between the pass offering and the atonement offering? Also is going to come next week. And eventually, when is going to be the time that our sins will be blotted out? When is going to be the time, exactly the time, that all the sins will be blotted out? I want to finish here with the last scripture here. In the book of Acts, chapter 3. Book of Acts, chapter 3. So as you're turning there, I hope that you gain something out of today of my message. I hope that will be very profitable for you as you're going to study, prepare yourself for the Day of Atonement. And if you have any suggestions, any comments, if I could have done it a little bit better or live differently, please. Because, you know, I'm learning here too, and I'm very excited about what I've learned, what I find so far. Let's finish. I will conclude with this scripture here. uh, Leviticus. Book of Acts chapter 3, verse 19 to 21. Verse 19 through 21. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the time of restorations of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophet since the world began. Salvation is a process. Dealing with sin is a process. May God bless you all. So, I, I, I think at this time, I'll have a quick prayer. For all these people who are watching us, audience, thank you for tuning in and listening. If you're going to have time, please. I don't know if you're going to stream it on Wednesday. We'll figure it out, but please stand. Oh, glorious and awesome Father, thank you for this Sabbath day. Thank you, Father, for this holy day. And thank you for teaching us so many important aspects about your holy times and about all these things that's, you know, Father, about to happen. Father, thank you for helping us to realize how devastating effect sins brings on all of us. We know from, from your Bible, Father, that sin can defile every single thing, not just us personally, but our families, our inmates, our friends, our place where we live, our place where we work, even the land that we stand, even your own sanctuary, Father, was defiled. And please help us to realize the tremendous cost that you have to pay by sending your only son to deal with this horrible effects, this issue of sin. And Father, with the Day of Atonement, we are grateful what you have accomplished for us so far. Father, we are faithful. And we can't wait 
then all this our record will be just blood out. We won't have to contend. We won't have to struggle. We won't have to fight the weaknesses that is in us. When eventually the sin will be dealt forever. So Father, please prepare us for this holy day. Give us more meaning, Father. So we just don't be sitting around and just fast and watching the clock and just, just thinking when is this day going to be over and, you know, just coming to our holy congregation, holy meeting and just fall asleep because we're thirsty and we're hungry, Father. Give us a meaning. Give us a more understanding and help us to see what price you had to pay for this day and for our sins, Father. So we thank you, Father. We bless your holy name, Father. We specifically so grateful to your son, Jesus Christ, who did all of these things for us, Father. So we praise your holy name. We ask you all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.